Welcome to a Reformation edition of The Bible Teachers. Please join Eddie McClintock and Dr. Barry Harker in the studio for today's study. Greetings and a warm welcome to today's program. This is a special radio program based on the Reformation. As you know, this is the 500th year, 2017, 500 years since the start of the Reformation. That is, if you date it from the time that Martin Luther nailed the 95 Thesis against the Wittenberg Castle church door. Now, that happened on All Saints Day back on the 31st of October, uh, 1517. Now, some of you may say, well, what is the Reformation? Well, the word Reformation comes from the Latin word reformato, which simply means restoration or renewal. And it actually refers to the time when Martin Luther and others protested against some of the teachings of the Roman Catholic Church. Now, the, the whole basis of their protest actually consisted around their doctrinal interpretation regarding the reliance on Scripture as the source of ultimate authority within our understanding of doctrine and what the Bible says. And through Martin Luther spending some time in the, the teachings of the Bible and you know spending time in studying the Bible, he discovered a few issues. And around that time, there was a man by the name of Tetzel who was coming to sell indulgences. And, of course, those 95 Theses was actually teachings out of Scripture refuting the ability of the Roman Catholic Church to sell indulgences. And that's what the Reformation is based on. And subsequent to the discussion on indulgences, many other issues were, were brought up as well. And we're talking about authority, and we're talking about the authority of the Scripture, and, of course, the authority of the Church, or authority of the Pope, the authority of tradition. Now, uh, ladies and gentlemen, you're um, in for a very special opportunity to listen to a familiar voice. Uh, prior to uh, myself taking the responsibility for 3AB in Australia Radio, you had Paul looking after things here, Paul Kachansky. But before Paul Kachansky, the man that actually started it all was Dr. Barry Harker. And in the studio today, we have that familiar voice back. Welcome, Barry. It's great to be back. Thank you, Adrian. Yeah, and it's great to be having this discussion with you around the 500-year anniversary of the Reformation and the importance of it and also the importance and the primacy of the Scripture and whose authority we actually have to adhere to when it comes to doctrine and teachings of the church. Yes. Um, this year I have been on um, a Reformation Lands history tour hmm. for five weeks, so this is all fairly fresh in my mind at this stage. I've also been reading around Reformation history for decades now. Right. So um, this is a particularly important year as we celebrate this, this anniversary. And you're absolutely correct, <clears throat> excuse me, in relationship to... Um, question of authority because mm. the Reformation is really about the authority of Scripture versus the authority of Scripture plus tradition plus the teaching authority of the Roman Catholic Church. Yes. And so today we're going to be looking at these two issues. And first of all, we're going to have a look at the issue of reason because basically if you go outside of the revelation of Scripture, you're talking about human reason. Mm. So we're going to look at what the Scripture has to say about reason. Then we're going to have a look at what the Scripture has to say about revelation. So that's going to make up okay. most of our program today. Okay. Well, that will be an interesting program if we, as we unpack it and look at the contrasting views of out there regarding the uh, authority of Scripture and also human reason and what role that plays, if any, determining what is truth. Yeah, and I think it's an important time for us to be discussing these issues because basically the Reformation is starting to peter out hmm. in terms of its energy and its, and its strength. And so we need to ask the question, what was it all about? You know, what was all the fuss about? Yes. 
question, is there any reason for us to continue the sorts of issues that were raised by the Reformation 500 years ago? Mm. So it's a topic of relevance to all of us. We all have to relate to the Reformation in some way, even if it's rejection of what the Reformation was about. Mm. So let's let's launch in on the issue of reason. And let's open up. Etienne at uh, Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 18. You you might like to read that for us. Sure. Isaiah chapter 1 and verse Verse, 18 18. says, Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Hmm. Interesting passage, isn't it? Yeah. God's actually asking us to reason with him. So we know from this particular passage that reason is necessary. We can't have communication with each other unless we use reason. Hmm. And so our communication actually packages reason. So when we communicate with another person, we're using language to convey reason and evidence. So God's actually asking us to reason with him, but he's asking us to reason with him around the issue of salvation. That's dead right, yes. So this is, this is not just to reason about anything in particular, but he's actually saying that the principles of salvation are consistent with reason. In other words, the way that he saves fallen humanity hmm. is reasonable. That's right. In other words, it's, it's a logical way in which he goes about that salvation yeah. faith, process. Faith in salvation through Jesus Christ is an intelligent religion, an intelligent faith. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And so when you look at this particular passage... He's actually inviting us to reason in the context of initially accepting the revelation that he's making about salvation. Mm. And so we can see that God's plan of salvation for people is not just the product of human reason, but it's presented to them in a way that their reason can appreciate. Right, yes. So human reason is basically an aid to the reception of divine truth, but only insofar as it is in submission to revelation. Mm. Okay. Now, this is an important. This is an important. This is a point very important point. Yes, because it means that revelation must have the primacy, and reason must be contingent or dependent upon what has been revealed. And we're going to see that a little bit later. That's right. So unless God reveals information to us, our reason can't be based on anything else but mere human thinking. And we know in the Bible, there, for example, it talks about the heart of man being deceitfully be above all things and desperately wicked. So from a wicked heart can only come wicked reasoning, which is contrary to salvation and the principles of God's kingdom. Yes. And uh, we know, as you said, revelation is very important. Deuteronomy chapter 29 and verse 29, actually, we, we read there in the, in the books of the law, now the books of Moses, mm-hmm. where it says, The secret things belong to the Lord our God. But those things which are revealed, so we're talking about revelation, belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. So very important that God has to reveal. If it's not revealed, we don't know it. So it's a secret thing to us. Yes. But God through revelation makes us understand and know the principles of his kingdom, the principles of salvation, how we are saved and uh, how that comes about reconciling us to God. Now we need to remind ourselves that we're talking about spiritual things that the, the origin of the earth, the origin of the universe, how things came to be, where we came from, why we're here, what the problems are and what the future holds for us. And so these things have to be revealed to us. There are some things that human reason can discover on its own, 
I mean, mm. we, we would call this science. Yes. But science is limited mm. to the things that it can see and observe and reason about. Whereas we're dealing with issues that go beyond science, outside of science, go to the very heart of what the universe is there for and what's it all about. So there's another problem with um, the issue of reason too, that if you separate it out from divine revelation, then you have a problem because it's called an infinite regress. So every Mm. time you give a reason, if you make reasons not only necessary, as we have done, as God does in the scripture, but you make them sufficient as well, You've got a problem because every time you give a reason, it can be challenged on rational grounds. For example, why should I accept that reason? Hmm. If you give me another reason, I can say, well, why should I accept that reason? Because everything has to be grounded on reason. So this just goes infinitely. That's why it's called an infinite regress. So the only way you can stop that regress is to make a fact or value judgment that is actually outside Hmm. of reason itself. And And we'll talk about the way in which reason actually overcomes this infinite, uh, the, the way in which revelation, rather, overcomes this infinite regress a little bit later. Sure. So this, this is an issue that you can only make it necessary. As soon as you make it sufficient, it can't even justify itself in the same terms that it's asking every other knowledge claim to be justified. Mm. So this is a problem. And interestingly, when we look at Scripture... God is saying reason is necessary, but it's not sufficient. In other words, reason is actually focused by what has already been revealed, what you've already accepted, the presuppositions that you use. Yeah. So I, I like the, uh, the, the, the difference you show there regarding um, natural things and also spiritual things, because the spiritual things for the natural man is quite hard to understand. Jesus spoke uh, in his day, he says that, you know, uh, always learning but never being able to come to a knowledge of the truth and that continuous critique of each other's information and becoming wiser in the critique but still not yet learning anything and still not knowing what the ultimate truth is. Now, uh, the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and I'm going to read just verse 11 and also verse 14, but verse 11 says, For what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God, and this is what we're talking about here today, except the Spirit of God. And then it says, verse 14, But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. So we need the Spirit of truth to work with the Word of truth to give us that revelation, and that's what our reasoning is to be based on. Yes, and so when we look at Scripture, we don't find any evidence there that reason is independent, neutral, detached, or mm. objective, or absolute. In fact, on the contrary, human reason is a tool of the heart, and it actually works in accordance with our heart's desires. I'd like you yeah. to read uh, Luke chapter 5 and verse 22. Jesus is actually speaking in this passage, and um, the scribes and Pharisees were standing by. He had healed this man, and they were reasoning in their hearts about the the act that Jesus did in forgiving the sins of the man with the palsy. Mm. Notice what he says in chapter 5 and verse 22. It says, But when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered and said to them, Why are you reasoning in your hearts? Ah, well, there it is. Mm. So what you actually accept, your presuppositions, what you desire, will condition the way in which your reason operates. Now, reason can't be an absolute because if it were then all the bright philosophers and scientists and thinkers of the world would think 
exactly the same and arrive at the same conclusion. Yes. Which would ostensibly be the truth. The fact that philosophers can't agree among themselves is a clear indication that it's not an absolute. But it's necessary. We can't exist without it. But as soon as we make it sufficient, Mm. then we come into all of these sorts of problems. So let's establish that reason is necessary, but that it's not sufficient. So let's have a look at some passages in Scripture. Look at um, Proverbs chapter 23 and verse 26. Because Jesus knew that human reason is conditioned by our desires. And then the mind actually works to support what the heart wants. Right. We call that a rationalization. Hmm. So it might be a logical but a false conclusion because it's been conditioned by what we want. And so our mind gets to work to actually give us a justification for what we desire. So it's Proverbs chapter 23, verse 26, and it says, My son, give me your heart and let your eyes observe my ways. Hmm. So unless God has the heart, our reason will not serve our best interests. Hmm. So our heart has to be given to God so that we can then actually have a relationship with God and then the things that we do and the way that we reason will act in our best interest. Right. Okay. There's another one here in Proverbs 23 and verse 7. It says, For as he thinks in his heart so easy. That's interesting, isn't it? Yeah. So as you think, in other words, as you desire in your heart, that forms your character. Hmm. So thinking actually forms your character. What you think about, what you allow your mind to wander onto is actually going to determine what your character will become. Mm. And so God is telling us that we have to, first of all, protect our hearts if we want to protect the capacity of our reason to act in our best interests. Yeah, in psychology, they even have a term that people move to their most constant dominant thoughts. So whatever you think, you become. And we even have that principle in Second Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, which says that by beholding, we become changed. Mm-hmm. And if we behold Christ, we are changed in his image from glory to glory. Yes. So that, that beholding and thinking obviously has an influence on the character and also the actions. So that's why God talked about um, in, uh, in the Gospel of Matthew, he talked about uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, he talked about a man looking after, looking at a woman with lust in his heart. Mm. In other words, the very act of looking created the desire conditions and so forth in which eventually, unless it was restrained, that would a- result in an act of adultery. Yes. So what he's saying is that we have to protect our senses because the senses feed our desires, they feed into our heart. Mm. And the heart then determines how our mind is going to work and the decisions that we make based on that reasoning right. are going to either work in our best interests or work against them. Mm. And so the whole issue of uh, Christianity being a restrictive thing comes into focus here because people say, oh, well, look, you know, uh, Christianity is restricting or religion is restricting. But Jesus said, I came to give you life and to give it to you more abundantly. Yes. So the restrictions that he places on us in Scripture are mm. designed to act in our best interest. Absolutely. Yeah, because Jesus came to set us free, but free from what? It's freedom from sin. Because he says there in John chapter 8 that he who commits sin is a slave to sin. Yes. So that's the freedom we have in Christ. It's actually the restrictions are actually restrictions to, to set us free from enslavement. Exactly. In fact, you can orient your life in one or two ways. You can orient it so that it's self-serving, so that your entire focus is on yourself and what's coming to you, 
or you can orient it outwards so that you consider the interests of others as being as important as your own. And yes. this is essential to have a moral and a civil society that people consider the interests of other people. But, you know, this is all summed up in Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 23. Yeah, Proverbs 4 verse 23 says, Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it springs the issues of life. Mm. So out of the heart are the issues of life. So we've got to protect our hearts. In other words, protect what we think about, protect what we desire, Mm. because if we allow this to run right, then it's not going to serve our best interest. And we will make decisions that we will later regret and that will help to destroy our lives. So our hearts are not going to serve our ultimate interests unless we will their submission to divine revelation. So when we looked at uh, the invitation to uh, to reason with God in Isaiah 1.18, the next verse begins, if you be willing and obedient. Mm. So this connects the two, the fact that your heart's going to desire certain things and basically you have to decide to submit it to God or not. Yes. If you submit it to God, then you're going to reason effectively. If you don't submit it to God, your reasoning is going to be deficient and will never work in your best interests. So reason's not an absolute. It's necessary, Mm. but it's not absolute. So let's now turn to the whole issue of revelation because this is where it gets intensely interesting because the Bible not only tells us that reason is necessary but not sufficient, it also tells us that revelation is both necessary and sufficient. So we want to start with Isaiah chapter 55 and verses 6 to 11 because the primacy of revelation over reason is actually a biblical teaching. Right, and it says there, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Mm -hmm. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven, and do not return there, but water the earth and make it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void." But it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the things for which I sent it. Mm. Very interesting passage, because it's really expanding what we were talking about before from the book of Proverbs. Mm. So the Lord's calling the people to seek him while he may be found. If you have a look at verse 7, it says, Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts, and let him return unto the Lord, and he will have mercy upon him, and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. So this means the wicked's got to forsake his way in his unrighteous thoughts and return to the Lord. Mm. This is the condition of actually receiving the pardon. So the thoughts of the unrighteous are considered unreliable and not a safe guide to be followed. Yeah, that's, that's very clear from that text. Okay. Yeah. And then the human thought and, uh, and human ways are not God's, as we see in verse 8. It mm. says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. It's really interesting. Neither are your ways my ways, says the Lord. So the Lord brings it down to the comparison between human thought and divine thought. Yes. 
And then in verse 9, the reason is actually given there in verse 9 that there is a gap between the divine and human thought as large as the gap between heaven and earth. So Mm. what God is saying is, my thoughts are here, your thoughts are here, you can't know my mind because it's superordinate to yours, it's above yours, and so the only way in which the gap can be bridged is for me to send my thoughts to you. So you have to rely on what I am actually telling you. Mm. So it's a gap that can't be bridged by human reason. It has to be bridged by revelation, and that revelation comes from God to, to humans. So if the gap's going to be bridged, it's got to be on God's initiative. Now, have a look at um, verse 10. You have these metaphors of the rain and the snow coming down from heaven, watering the earth, causing it to flourish, and providing for human need. Mm. So these are fitting ones because they indicate the dependence of human reason on divine revelation. So the direction is from divine to human. So this is a really important point. And then you have a look at verse 11. It says the word goes out of God's mouth. It's the source of wisdom for all humanity. And then God says it actually achieves what he set out for it to achieve. Yes. That actually comes back to him. Mm. Not devoid, but actually it comes back in a rich return. So there's no hint here that human reason is autonomous and can be placed on an equality with biblical revelation, let alone being placed in a superior position. Now, I want to have a look at this passage because I think this is a critically important passage for us to understand why the Bible has authority. Yes. And the first one is, because these verses explain four really important things. There are other things that I explain as well, but for in terms of authority, they explain four very important things. And the first, as noted, is why revelation is necessary. So human thought in, in, its, un, in its fallen state is unreliable as a guide to salvation and human obligation. Hmm. In other words, it has to be informed by divine thought. So revelation is an intrinsic necessity in a disordered world. So human reason must submit to divine revelation. So that's the first that's the first thing that it explains, why revelation is necessary, because we can't bridge the gap. Secondly, and this explanation proceeds from the first, if divine revelation is an intrinsic necessity, then you must accept biblical revelation on its own terms. Yes. In other words, you can't call it into question. Mm. So... If I can't understand God's mind unless he reveals something to me, then I have to rely on that revelation and trust that revelation, even if I don't initially understand it. it, I have to accept it. In fact, there are some things in the scripture that are a bit hard to understand. Mm. God even acknowledges that. I mean, the Bible says, um, and the Apostle Peter said about... 2 Peter 3, yeah. Yeah, and he said about uh, Paul's writing, there are some things in Paul that are hard to be understood. Hmm. Right? So there's a recognition that some parts of Scripture are clearer than other parts. And people get hung up over this. They think, oh, that just means you know, if we can't understand it, then it's, it's incomprehensible yes. or it's wrong. But really it's an evidence that it's coming from a divine source. That's dead right because so, God's thoughts are higher than our thoughts. Our thoughts. So yeah. you're going to find that there are elements there that you have to work at to mm. understand. So that's instead of being an evidence against Scripture, it's actually an evidence for Scripture itself. So 
if divine revelation is an intrinsic necessity, then you've got to accept biblical revelation on its own terms. The hermeneutical or interpretive principles embedded in the Bible are therefore part of God's revelation to humanity. So when mm. God gives us the Bible, he says, well, here are the principles. I embed these principles in the Bible so that you can understand it. And um, so we're at that point where we see that we must accept the way in which the Bible says it's to be read and understood as part of God's revelation. So mm. You can't just come to the Bible and decide, well, it means this or it means that. You have to use those principles that God has established. Right. Thank you, Barry. We've, um, we're coming towards the end of the first half of our program. So what we've discussed so far, just a summary, is the importance of the revelation of God to us, revealing his thoughts, his wishes, his will for humanity, and for us to then obviously enter into that, and that to shape our reasoning rather than our reasoning shaping our approach to God. Because basically you come up with two options. Either God reveals himself to us, and therefore we have a a revelation of God that shapes our religion, or we have a humanistic approach where our religion is pretty much as high as human thought can ascend to. Mm -hmm. Matter of fact, amongst human beings, there's no one that agrees. There's not two people that really agree in regards to authority. And you find that quite often amongst the experts, you know, in a field there you find experts who don't necessarily agree. There's different schools of thought. And that term, different schools of thought, has simply been uh, been brought out because they are people who think in different ways. So we need to discover what truth is as God reveals it, and therefore we've got to be adherents to the truth and students of the truth. So we'll just take a short break, and we'll be back after this uh, short uh, messages. Hello, my name's Lucas, and I'm going to talk to you about something very special. Today I'm going to talk to you about the Ten Commandments. You might be thinking, what is the Ten Commandments? Here, I'll tell you the Ten Commandments. Number one, you shall have no other gods before God. Number two, you shall not make idols. Number three, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Number four, remember the seventh day, which is Sabbath. The Sabbath and the seventh day is Saturday. You might be wondering how it is, but the week actually starts off with Sunday. Number five, honor your mother and father. Number six, you shall not murder. Number seven, be faithful to each other. Number eight, you shall not steal. Number nine, you shall not lie. Number 10, you shall not want things that other people have. Welcome back to this special program on the Reformation. In the studio, I have a special guest, Dr. Barry Harker, who's a, a previous manager of 3ABN Australia Radio. Matter of fact, he is the person that started up this uh, 3ABN Australia radio network here uh, for this part of the world. And we are discussing a very important topic regarding the Reformation. We're actually looking at authority, and we're looking at the importance, the primacy of Scripture in regards to authority and also the revelation of God for us to understand that and how we compare that to reason, because reason has a place, as you've mentioned before, Barry. And, of course, it also compares it then to the other elements of authority, which would be the authority of the church, the authority of the pope, the authority of tradition, mm -hmm. and which then carries the primacy in regards to understanding of truth. Yes, and before the break we were looking at uh, Isaiah chapter 55, and verses 6 to 11, and we were noting 
four very important points that came out of that. The first one was why revelation was necessary. And we noticed that it was necessary because God's mind and his thoughts were so much higher than ours. In fact, the gap was described as between heaven and earth. Yeah, well, that's in, in other words, we're dependent upon what God reveals to us. So the first reason why we needed revelation was because in our fallen state, we cannot understand the truth about things. They have to be revealed to us, particularly about spiritual matters. Mm. And then the second one that we looked at was the fact that if divine revelation is an intrinsic necessity, then we have to accept the Bible on its own terms. In other words, you can't be faithful to the Bible without being faithful to its self-interpreting principles. Yes. It's like a beggar just can't, a beggar can't suddenly decide that um, he can change his status. He has to accept what is being given to him. And so, and he has to accept it on the terms in which it's given. And we are beggars in that sense, in terms mm. of our intellectual capacity and reason and revelation. And so it follows that if divine revelation has to be accepted on its own terms, then human reason and traditions are in themselves unsound and unwarranted hermeneutical ideologies. That is, you can't impose on Scripture a method of understanding it that is inconsistent with the scripture itself. So the third explanation comes off these first two explanations. We can't call God's inspired writings into question. This is the third point. Hmm. Because divine revelation by its very nature is the transmission of information from God to humans that is otherwise not accessible to us. Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. It, it, even Paul elaborates on that, and he's obviously teaching out of the Old Testament. He's drawing from that. Where he talks about that there's none righteous, there's not one. And then he makes this interesting statement, there's none who understands. Mm-hmm. So if we don't understand, we need to get an understanding outside of ourselves, a source uh, outside of humanity to reveal that to us. Yes. And, of course, that comes through the Scriptures. And the greatest revelation of that is, of course, when Christ, who is God, manifest in the flesh, became came and revealed to us what God was really like yes. because he was totally misunderstood. And whenever you've taken the scriptures away from the people, the character of God has been misrepresented and he's been presented as a tyrant. They've, they've given him the, almost the, the attributes of Satan. Mm-hmm. And we know through the Dark Ages, many attributes were ascribed to the church and to God, which are not biblical. Why? Because the light of the truth of the gospel of God was hidden from the people. It wasn't in their language. If they could even get access to the Bible, it wasn't the language that the people spoke or understood. Mm-hmm. So this is a really important point. You can't call God's writings into question. Hmm. You can't call inspired, revealed information into question. By the, the, the very virtue of the information, it means that it has to be accepted on its own terms. And so um, this leads us to the point that we cannot sit in judgment on revelation. If you're going to accept any part of God's revelation, then you have to accept all of it. Accepting one part means you have to accept all of it. Yes. So to reject any part of revelation on rational grounds is to elevate reason above revelation and to neutralize all of revelation. And as we saw before when we were discussing reason, if you make reason both sufficient as well as necessary, then you have a problem with an infinite regress because you then have to give a rational or a reasonable justification for every statement that you make mm. and that everyone, every statement can be challenged on rational grounds. Therefore, that regress goes on forever. 
So really, revelation is important because it doesn't open up a regress because it makes reasons necessary but not sufficient. If it's not, if reason is not sufficient, yes, something is revealed to us, hmm. and we base our reasoning on that revelation, it escapes the infinite regress. Yes, it does. Yeah. So even that question is asked in the book of Job. You know, Job chapter eleven: Who can by searching mm-hmm. find out God? So we need a revelation, as you're saying. We cannot ascend to that level of understanding regarding spiritual things. Yeah, and, and we see this in science. I mean, science is always discovering new things, you know, and the pride of science is that it's self-correcting and that it self-corrects over time. So we get closer and closer to the reality. Hmm. The point is there are some things that science can't deal with, like does God exist? So these issues have to be revealed to us. And it's interesting that we are on this earth, we live in a Goldilocks zone in the universe, and you would expect that if there is a God that he would make a revelation to us because we of ourselves are inadequate to search out these particular questions. And so he reveals something to us. Interestingly, we have the Bible, Hmm. which claims to be God's revelation to humankind. And into that Bible, he packs these principles, the very things that we're talking about. He packs it in and tells us reason is necessary, but it's not sufficient. Hmm. But you are reliant on me for information. So your thoughts, your feelings have to be derived from, and your purpose in life has to be derived from me if your reason is actually going to act in a way that will lead to an abundant life for you. Hmm. Now, this brings us to the fourth explanation. So if you can't call God's inspired writings into question, then you can neither legitimately add to them nor subtract from them. In other words, you're bound by them. You have to be bound by those those sacred writings. Yeah. Now, I'd like you to read Revelation 22, verses 18 and 19. Okay, it says, For I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book, If anyone takes away from the words of this book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part in the book of life from the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. They're pretty dire consequences, aren't they? Very much so. Adding to or subtracting from the scripture. This passage tells us that that, the book of Revelation, if you accept it's from God, then you have to accept all of it. Hmm. And you have to understand it in terms of the hermeneutical principles or interpretive principles that he packs into the Bible, and you can neither add to it, neither can you subtract from it. In other words, you can't subtract from the force of what it's teaching, neither can you add additional teachings Mm. that are not in the book itself. Now, people say, well, that's just the book of Revelation. What about the rest of Scripture? Well, the principles embedded in other other parts as well. Have a look at 2 Timothy 3.16, and this is the passage that... um, affirms the divine inspiration of all scripture. 2 Timothy 3.16 And we read, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Hmm. So what's that telling us? It's telling us that the scripture is the benchmark. Yes, it is. Now, some people say, okay, we accept that scripture is necessary, Hmm. but we don't think it's Sufficient. In other words, you might need to have, say, for example, the Pope to tell you 
what salvation is about or what yes. your duty is. Mm. But have a look at verses fifteen. Have a look at verse fourteen and fifteen. And then verse 17. Okay, so Paul says here to Timothy, but you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. So what do you notice there? You notice that the Scriptures embed Hmm. the principles of salvation. Yes. So they're sufficient for salvation. You also notice in verse 17... That the purpose of the book is to what? It says that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Mm, that's interesting. Mm. So it also tells us what our duty is. Yes, it does. Yeah. So you have the principles of salvation. Mm. You have our duty. And it also tells us in verse 16 that scripture is sufficient for doctrine. Yes. So... Now go to Second Peter 3 and verse, um, verses 15 and 16. And consider that the long-suffering of the Lord is salvation, as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given him, has written you, as also in all his epistles speaking in them of things which are some things hard to understand, which untaught and unstable people risk to their own destruction, as they also do with the rest of the Scriptures. Well, the point there is that Peter is referring to Paul's writings as part of Scripture. Yes. Now, so when we look at um, 2 Timothy 3.16, where it's affirming the authority of the Bible, the entire Bible, 2 Peter 3 and verses 15 and 16 are really telling us that um, Paul's writings were part of Scripture as well because 2 uh, Timothy 3.16 is referring primarily to the Old Testament. Yes. So this is... Capturing in Second Peter three and verse fifteen and sixteen is capturing the fact that the writings of the apostles were also considered to be part of Scripture. So what we see here is that um, Paul's statement in Second Timothy three sixteen extends to the writings of the New Testament as well. Mm. So we know that what God has written in Scripture has authority. That's, That's right. What He's revealed to us yeah. now. What was accepted as Scripture formed the basis of the evaluation of new claims by the preaching of the apostles. Have a look at uh, Acts chapter 17 and verse 11. Here we discover that the Bereans actually tested Paul's preaching by the writings of the Old Testament. So when he made his claims, he had to back them up from the Old Testament. And it says, and these were more fair-minded, or as the old King James says, um, more noble yes. than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. Interesting, isn't it? Hmm. So what we're seeing here is that there is a unity to the scriptures and there's also a harmony because if you say all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, yes. the assumption is that it's not going to, one part of scripture is not going to contradict another part. Hmm. So if you have a seeming contradiction... You need to compare all the parts of the scripture to be able to resolve it. So you can't arrive at the truth if you're not comparing all of the relevant parts of the scripture on a particular doctrine. Yes, yeah, the principle of total scripture, all of scripture is very important to make sure that you know your understanding of it is actually harmonized through all of scripture because of these contradictions. Yes. Um, then obviously you don't quite have the truth. You haven't uh, you haven't attained to that yet. But I like the fact that you just brought out there regarding um, 
Peter actually endorsing the writings of um, of Paul. And, of course, we also have Jesus endorsing the writings of the Old Testament. He quotes from Isaiah as well, the prophet Isaiah speak concerning you. And then he also talks about, you know, the abomination of desolation as spoken by the prophet Daniel. We read that in Matthew 24. And then, of course, he also talks about, you know, the days of Noah. It wasn't the days of Noah. Mm-hmm. So it shall be when the coming of the Son of Man comes. So there he endor- endorses the book of Genesis. Well, let's go to Genesis and let's okay. have a look. Because the, the principle of neither adding to nor subtracting from Scripture is actually right there in Genesis, right from Genesis to Revelation. We looked at the example from Revelation. But read Genesis 2, verses 16 and 17 for me. Because this is where God commands Adam and Eve not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And he said if they did it, they'd die. Okay, and it says there, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for the day that ye eat of it you shall surely die. So this is a piece of information that Adam and Eve couldn't reason their way to. Hmm. It had to be revealed to them. Yes. And there are some things that have to be revealed to us, for example. Hmm. Things that happen away from us that we don't see, people have to tell us what actually happened. So every time we watch the news, we're actually engaging in this principle. That's true. That someone's revealing something to us. Hmm. And we accept it on faith. Yeah. We accept that the person's actually telling us what actually happened. Hmm. And so... We have to see that uh, Adam and Eve had to accept this information as a divine revelation yes. from God alone. Now, this was, this was really highlighted when Eve decided to exercise her reason independently of God's revelation. Oh, that's a good point. All right, so first of all, God reveals it, and he says, this is what's going to happen. And Eve decides, after having the discussion with the serpent, she decides that she's going to make a decision without reference to God's revelation. And what happened? Genesis 3, 1 to 7. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the tree of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. So what did she do? Well, God had said you shall not eat it lest you die. Yes. She's adding to what God had said. Okay. So God said don't eat lest you die. She says don't eat nor touch. Yes. So God didn't say anything about touching in the Genesis chapter 2. So she's already moved off God's revelation. Hmm. And what happens? Okay. So it says, Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that the day that you eat it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Hmm. So breaking down the force of what God actually said meant that she was vulnerable to the arguments of the serpent. Hmm. Now, Moses articulated this um, principle in Deuteronomy chapter 4 and in verse 2. So when we go looking for it, we discover that this principle is scattered throughout, throughout the Scripture. Right, Deuteronomy 4 verse 2, You shall not add to the word which I command you, nor take from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you. Mm, interesting. So what he's saying is keeping God's commandments requires explicit obedience to him. Mm. And Moses repeats that instruction in Deuteronomy 12 and verse 32. Whatever I command you, be careful to observe it. You shall not add to it nor take away from it. There you go. Same principle as we saw in 
Genesis, hmm. the same principle we saw in Revelation. It's so that's that's uh, that's the principle. Moses is repeating the instruction, basically, of Revelation chapter 22, verses 18 and 19. So this principle is embedded in Scripture that we neither add to nor subtract from the Scripture mm. itself. That means if you're going to be faith, if you're going to accept that the Bible is a revelation from God and that your authority as a church is embedded in Scripture, then you are bound by that Scripture. You cannot go outside of it. Yes, and it's a bit like a. Con- it's like the Bible is like God's constitution. Mm. You see, if you accept it, th- not only does it give you authority, but it also limits that authority, just like a constitution does. Right. Okay. Right? So, if I'm the Governor General of Australia, and I decide that I'm going to do something that is outside or inconsistent with the constitution, mm. I can be impeached. Yes. And so any document that actually gives you authority also limits it. Mm. And that's why we have this principle of not adding to or subtracting from Scripture. So the principles of the primacy of revelation and of explicit of obedience to God are also contained in verses such as Jeremiah chapter 10 and verse 23. And we've got several more to have a look at. But Jeremiah 10:23 embeds this principle. O Lord, I know the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man who walks to direct his own steps. There you go. So who should be directing our steps then? That has to be God. Yes. So we have to accept God's revelation, his thoughts, and make that the basis of the way in which we react to our environment, the way in which we order our lives, the goals and um, directions that we might be taking our life in. So let's have a look at some more. Um, because we see that this is embedded elsewhere in Scripture as well. Psalm 130 and verse 5. And it says, I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I do hope. There you go. So he is putting his confidence in the, in the Scripture itself. What about Psalm 119 and 105? Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Now, it's interesting that Daniel in chapter 10 and verse 21, it says, But I will tell you what is noted in the scriptures of truth. No one upholds me against these except Michael, your prince. Hmm. So what we discover there is that Daniel speaks of the scripture of truth. Hmm. And then you also have Jesus identifying God's word as truth in John chapter 17 and verse 17. And Jesus says, sanctify them by your truth. Yes, your word, your is, word truth. is truth. So the primacy of revelation is just scattered right throughout the Bible. Mm. And, you know, it's just as powerful today intellectually as it ever was because we've looked at these two issues, revelation versus reason. Yes, reason is necessary, but it's not sufficient. God's, God's revelation in Scripture, we can test it. Because it doesn't open a regress, yes. we can test it. We can come back and retrovalidate it. That is validated after the event. Mm. So if I exercise trust in God, then he says to me, for example, in Psalm 34, oh, ta- oh, what is it, verse 7, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Yeah. So I can get the evidence when I trust. So if I trust God, he reveals that evidence to me. He also said, 
Uh, Jesus said, I've told you beforehand so that when it comes to pass, you might believe. believe. John 14, 29, I think. And so there are ways in which we can test the revelation that God gives to us. Mm. But we never open a regress because we never make that evidence sufficient as, you know, the reasons sufficient as well as necessary. And there are other ways. I mean, he says in Scripture, if Christ is not risen, then your faith's in vain. Yes. In other words, if Jesus did not die as an historical fact as described in Scriptures, mm. then your faith's in vain. That's dead right. So we have historical evidences, we have prophetic evidences, we have personal evidences. We could also look at archaeological evidences and we could look at things like... Um, uh, stories, you know, the, the validity of, of stories in relationship to the way in which we experience our own lives. Mm. All of these things enable us to go back and test the scripture, but without opening up the regress. Yeah, well, that text there in Isaiah 8.20 is still uh, still valid today. It says, unto the law and to the testimony. If they speak not according to this word, there is no light in them. So we can actually use the word of God to determine if doctrine is true or false or whether the teachings of any person Mm-hmm. regardless of who they be, actually measures up to the Scripture, both the Old and the New Testament. Yeah, and look, there's another issue too, and that is people today will often say, oh, look, because it's old, mm. it's called chronological snobbery in C.S. Lewis's terms. Because something is old, it is therefore not up to date, therefore it's not truthful or mm. it's not relevant. Yes. Um, but have a look at um, 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 11. Because really um, Paul is saying that the things that, the, that were experienced by the Israelites in the wilderness are relevant for us today. Yeah, 1 Corinthians 10, 11, And all these things happened to them as examples, and they were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world have come. And what about um, Romans chapter 15 and verse 4? Whatever things were written before were written for our learning, that we through the patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. There you go. So what Paul is saying in Romans is that the things that were written a long time before were relevant for them. He also tells us in 1 Corinthians that the things that were written were also relevant right through to the end of time. And that would explain why when you get to the last book of the Bible, Revelation, it Mm. says don't add to it or subtract from it. In other words, don't go beyond the words in this book. If you do, the consequences are pretty dire. Or don't take away from it. Don't take away from the force of the teachings of this book. Absolutely. So what we see is that Scripture tells us exactly what we experience. We we experience the fact that reason is not absolute and never allows us, when we use it independently, to arrive at the same conclusion. Mm. There's so much discord and strife in the world because people have rejected Scripture as the ultimate source of their authority. And so the Bible itself is God's revelation to us because we of ourselves are inadequate Mm. and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts and so in in taking the explanations that he gives to us and using that in which to order our lives we can have the sort of life that he came to give us which was abundant life Amen you know, uh, even Jesus, after his resurrection, so on that on that Sunday after his resurrection, he catches up two of his disciples, and they're walking from Jerusalem to Emmaus, and there he talks to them and reasons with them, and it says there in verse 24, sorry, it's Luke 24, verse 27, it says, And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in the scriptures the things concerning himself as the Messiah. So Jesus there actually endorses the Old Testament to explain 
all the things he had to suffer for the salvation of mankind. Mm-hmm. So Jesus endorses it. They, uh, all the apostles endorse it. All the writings of the New Testament endorse it because when they were still preaching and writing, they only had the Old Testament. They didn't have the New Testament. So the New Testament teachings came out of the Old Testament. Yeah, the Bible's internally coherent. Hmm. It actually explains reality in a way that matches our experience. That's why it has authority for me. Mm, that's right. Look, well, thank you for, for that, Barry. We're just going to take a quick break to share our contact details with you, and we'll be right back after this short break. Stay tuned. If you have any questions or comments in relation to today's program, you can call 3ABN Australia Radio within Australia on 02 4973 3456 or from outside of Australia on country code 612-4973-3456. Our email address is radio at 3abnaustralia.org.au. That is radio at the number 3ABN Australia, all one word, .org.au. Our postal address is 3ABN Australia, Inc., P.O. Box 752, Morissette, New South Wales, 2264, Australia. Thank you for your prayers and financial support. Welcome back to this special radio program on the Reformation with Dr. Barry Harker and I'm Etienne McClintock. And we're just talking about the primacy and the authority of the Scriptures. The Word of God is revealed through the prophets as what we have in the, in the Bible, the Old Testament mm-hmm. and the New Testament. Now, a passage that sums up our conversation today mm-hmm. is in Psalm 138 and verse 2. It says, I will worship toward thy holy temple and praise thy name for thy loving kindness and for thy truth, for thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. Sounds like God actually mm. considers that his word's pretty important there. So the praise goes to God because of his truth, who has, according to the scripture, magnified his word above his name. Now, his name is, represents his character. It does. So this is who God is. God is love. So he's actually magnifying his word. It shows the primacy of the word. There's nothing more important than that because that's how we get in touch with what God has revealed to us, his yes, revealed will. Absolutely. Mm. Yeah. Now, we've been talking about... Um, Authority of Scripture today in the context of the 500th anniversary of the Reformation. And we've talked about the authority of Scripture from within Scripture itself. And we've looked at the fact that the, the whole Bible is internally coherent on this issue. It explains why reason is necessary but not mm. sufficient and why we need revelation. And that means and we've concluded that we're Protestants as a result of that. Yes. But we also need to acknowledge the many beautiful Roman Catholics who may hold a different view to us. Hmm. But we see that the internal coherence of Scripture and the Protestant Reformation sits really nicely with what we actually found in Scripture today. So we invite everyone, Catholic or Protestant, to have a look at this issue again. Great. Thank you, Barry. Appreciate you sharing some of those thoughts there. Now, you've shared some of the information out of a book that you've written. The book mm-hmm. is called It Is Sunday in America. Mm-hmm. Now, that book is available on Amazon, if they like. And I think some of the uh, thoughts you've shared today come from Chapter chapter 3. Chapter three. Okay. So the book should be available mid-November, and okay. it will be available. If you just Google it, It's Sunday in America. You should be able to pick it up either um, as an e-book or you can get a hard copy if you want one. Great. 
Thank you very much. With those remarks, we'll finish our program for today. We thank you for joining us today. There will be a follow-up program on this, another special program on the Reformation, where we'll unpack some of the principles that came out of the Reformation a little bit further. God bless you until then. You've been listening to a production of 3ABN Australia Radio.